went and spent a year in Uganda as a missionary, which is kind of a professional Christian, just kind of in a little bit of a different nature. Everybody in life was like, this is it. See you in four years when you come back. Have a great life. This is your life's calling. If you're not gonna be a youth minister, you're gonna be a missionary. And so I go, and within like a week, I'm like, this isn't it either. Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Every Thursday, we are sharing a new episode in our Your Story Matters podcast series. This is an opportunity for people from Collective to be real about their brokenness and what God has done and is doing in their lives. These stories will be real and raw and vulnerable, and we hope they encourage and inspire you in your own faith to share your story. To watch the sermons from the Your Story Matters series or to find out more, you can head to www.mycollective.church YSM. We hope you enjoy these stories. You are listening to the Your Story Matters podcast, a podcast by Collective Church in Frederick, Maryland, where people from Collective sit down and share their stories. They talk about life and brokenness and... Uh, the peaks and the valleys, and ultimately how God has been with them and walked them through those seasons. And right now we're in the final few episodes of this incredible year-long project, um, which I'm really excited uh, to have CT and Rachel with me today to share their story. Um, But before they share their story, one thing I want to say is if this is the first time you're picking up this podcast, definitely listen to this story. But take time over the next few weeks to jump back and start at the beginning. And um, we know it's a lot of episodes, and every episode is between like 45 minutes and an hour. Um, But it's absolutely worth your time because while you'll hear and experience and kind of witness how God has moved in CT and Rachel's lives, it really is the power of all these lives together that make this podcast special and this church special and really um, God, God. And so listen to this one, um, but make sure to jump back and start from the beginning. It'll be worth your time. Do it while you drive, do it while you work out, do it while um, you're cleaning your house. And I'm really hear all these incredible stories about just how good God is and how he's with us in the highs and lows of our lives. For today, though, I'm really excited for CT and Rachel to share. Um, I've known CT for a long time. If you've been around Collective for a while, CT preaches. Um, CT is one of our overseers. Rachel's wife is essentially our CFO, takes care of all the money stuff, which is great, so I don't have to take care of all the money stuff. Um, And we'll get to this, but I do want to say from the start, CT and Rachel uh, moved here to be a part of Collective. And so as you hear their story and you kind of hear up to that point and even beyond that, I do want the listeners, I want you guys to understand that uh, they moved here for you and they didn't know you, but they've been praying about you and wrestling about that. And CT and I will talk about this a little bit later when we talk about college. Um, But uh, them sitting down and sharing their story with you all really has been in the works for 15 years, essentially. You know, you guys didn't know each other at the time, but like 15 years. And um, I'm excited for you guys to hear that and hear their hearts, hear what, they, hear what they've been through, their highs and their lows, how they've seen God, and ultimately what led them to this moment right now. And so CT, as we kick this thing off today, we're going to start with you. So um, tell us a little bit about your childhood, your, where'd you grow up, uh, which is a loaded question for you. Um, where'd you grow up? What was faith like for you? family dynamics, all that stuff. Yeah, sure. 
So I grew up a little bit of everywhere, pretty much every pocket of America except the Northwest. And my dad was a pastor his whole entire life, retired now, but still is a part-time pastor on the side on Sunday mornings. You know, we started in Colorado, California, Indiana, Illinois, Florida, a lot of different places, but faith was always central to the family environment. And I know you hear about like pastor's kids and probably thinking like, well, he's either going crazy in college, which didn't happen, or he's like one of those weird, awkward, sheltered kids, which also I don't feel like I am that. <laughs> um, You're not here, but... <laughs> but but faith was always central to our life. So I have two older brothers and one younger sister. Grew up in the church, probably was in the church the very first Sunday after I was born, yeah. and I've been there ever since. Like did Sunday school, did Sunday nights, did Wednesday nights, did youth group. So like very, very familiar from a very early age about like church life and the ins and outs of church. So watching my dad be a pastor, from an early age, I got to see that the church isn't always the most healthy place. And as I got older, I saw and experienced more of that. But as a kid, like we went to church, that's what we did. We knew about Jesus. And I think from a very early age, I was interested in who this Jesus person was because it was modeled as my dad's job and as this thing that we did. So there was always a level of like comfort and security at church because we never really, in all the different places we went, we never really came in as like strangers. Sure. Because yeah. I was always the pastor's kid, so everybody knew who I was right away. So like there, there was comfort and there was familiarity and really from a very early age, I kind of took this on as my own thing. So in middle school, like I had a youth pastor that I loved. I was in youth group. I was such a nerd that I did Bible Bowl. Yeah, if you don't go. know what Bible Bowl is, I did Bible Bowl, went to the national tournament for Bible Bowl. Which, to be honest, has been kind of a threat on this podcast. Like you sit in this room and like there's a lot of people who didn't just do Bible Bowl, which is... So I used to think Bible Bowl was Bible trivia, mm-hmm. but it's not really. It's like Bible memorization with trivia based on the memorization. Yes. I think if Collective joined Bible Bowl as adults, we'd probably run the table based on some of the people <laughs> who have shared. Um, but sorry, I just wanted to interject for those yeah, people sure. who don't know. It's essentially, it's not quite Jeopardy with Bible, but it, it's kind of that way. But it was really popular when we were younger. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it was. Yes. For nerdy church kids like myself, it was really popular. But like all that to say, especially in middle school, I feel like life was great. I had a friend group that I really loved. Uh, I had a youth pastor that I really loved, really strong church. And I, I really, at that time, I felt like I was taking steps to make Jesus mine rather than just like my parents. Yeah. So like that's that's kind of like the the Jesus part of life growing up. Uh, what's really interesting is with two older brothers, you would think that I was the one who kind of got picked on all the time because I was the smallest. But they they had a little bit of a rivalry and they kind of clashed a lot. And so I was the one where it was like I want you to be on my side. So if like mom and dad left us alone in middle school for a few hours they would start picking at each other or they would start fighting or wrestling or whatever. And then when mom and dad get home, it's like, oh, hey, CT, tell mom and dad this or tell them this. And so I feel like 
very early on, which is still a theme that I see in my life now, I learned to be like the peacekeeper and the chameleon and just blend it into whatever the environment needed me to be in that time. My relationship with my parents growing up, I feel like was very strong. Uh, the words I love you were said a lot. We have parents, they're, they're still married now. I feel like they were they were very physically present at things that mattered to us. So like cross country meets or soccer games or whatever it was that mattered to us, they always made it a priority to to want to show up and to want to be there and physically like with their presence say I value this thing that you value and so I'm showing you that I love you by showing up. Call me out, think I'm a nerd if you want to, but the, the movie with Keanu Reeves, Hardball, he says in that movie, he says, sometimes one of the most important things you can do in life is to say you care by showing up. And I feel like my parents did that, like physically being at things. I don't feel like there was a great emotional connection. Yeah, I just feel like they, they don't really know how to do that well yep and so as a kid it was like i love you was said a bunch and you're always there and you're always present and it was like this is great like i feel secure i feel i feel very loved and i feel like i'm growing up in a great home environment yeah yeah so what's interesting about that too is you know ct we have a lot of friends that are in ministry and we have a lot of friends who are preachers kids and the like physical presence side is often neglected with pastors and their kids, right? And there's always this tension, always, of like choosing the church over family. And that happens a lot in all churches, you know, specifically small churches, specifically Midwestern and Southern churches where church is a huge part of of that culture. So it's interesting that for you, even though, you know, you guys bounce around a lot, but even as your father being a pastor, there was the physical presence because a lot of our friends have parents who are elders or deacons or pastors in churches and there is no physical presence. Sure. But what's tricky about that is like the emotional side, right? Like, you know, you know, they're there, you know, they care about you, but how does that help you process, you know, the hard things of middle school and the hard things of high school? Um, so for you, did you feel like, cause your dad was a preacher, right? Mm-hmm. And so like there's different types of ministry positions, but he was on stage and he was preaching. Did you feel like you saw some of like the emotion in the preaching? Was there vulnerability in the preaching? You know, was there kind of like a difference on stage than at home in that sense? The Sunday morning on stage presence really what was pretty true to who my dad is as a person kind of throughout the week as well. I feel like there was a lot of, as we were growing up, you know, like kids make great stories for for sermons. So (laughs) as we were growing up, like the good, the bad, and the ugly, the things we did, it just made for really great bringing the Bible to light kind of stories. And so I feel like there was a lot of that about us as kids. I don't know if I necessarily remember like opening up of self from my dad as the pastor but there was a lot of family stories that were told and engaged in. I think that's pretty pretty fair to, to how life is today. Not a lot of opening up of self, but a lot of like stories sure. told yep. from years past. Yeah, this is true in anybody's life when it comes to like vulnerability and um, you know preachers, but friends as well. Like 
um, sometimes the fact we, we tell the stories and they're fact, like, you know, we've moved a lot and that was hard. And people are like, Oh my gosh, that's so vulnerable. And you're like, hold on one second. Like that is more vulnerable than what other people tell, but it doesn't get into like, man, what did it feel like to move so much? You know, specifically, cause I know some of your, your family story is some of the moves were good and some of them were the church drama was so high that it was like, we got to get out of here, you know? And so some of the moves were like, we need, this is a good move for our family. Some of them were like, we're out you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, that is tough, you know? So there's vulnerability in the sense that he's sharing like personal stories, which, which is kind of like in, in our culture today, even like, you know, I'm air quoting vulnerable, but what we know is vulnerability goes beyond, beyond that. But we do kind of settle for that. Well, he, that story was a good story and it's about his family without kind of going to th- that extra length to really, to really open up about it. Um, one of the things you mentioned earlier you know, being in the church, um, specifically where things start to click in middle school, talk to us a little bit about like faith in middle school, church life in middle school. Cause again, you, you got a different view of it. Uh, the church is messy and the more you get involved in a church specifically, like the more you lead or the closer you get to people on staff, the more you realize like this is a really broken, messed up place. Mm -hmm. And we're doing our very best to, um, not hide that, but to like work through it. So for you in middle school, had you started to experience some of like the mess of the church yet? How was that impacting your faith? Um, you know, you specifically mentioned started to click really well in middle school. Was there kind of a balance of those things? Or did you feel like for you personally, you kind of hit that stride in middle school and kept going? It was either late elementary school or middle school. One of the churches that we were at, my dad brought African-American youth into the church. And the elder's response was, you kick them out or we're kicking you out. So he had to choose, am I choosing what the Bible says or am I choosing my job? And he chose what the Bible said, so the elders kicked him out and they fired him from that church. But I feel like our parents did a good job of protecting us from a lot of the mess as kids. So we didn't really see that, we didn't really know that. We'd moved at that point in time probably 12 different times, so like, another move was just like another move and we didn't really think like there's something happening behind the scenes here and it never it never really crossed my mind the church is a messy broken place and my dad is a fallout of that which is why we're moving again yeah you know those stories kind of came later as we got older and, and, and we're more mature and can handle those stories but at least through middle school i feel like we're moving again. Yeah. I'm a chameleon. I can make friends with anybody. Okay. We'll yeah. just pick up the pieces and we'll go. So at, at that point in time, there were, there was really no like negativity or bitterness from me towards this thing called the church or towards this thing called Jesus because it was just like, well, here we go again. You yeah. know, it's like different chapter of the same book kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. So take us through middle school. Where did you live in middle school? I lived in Seymour, Indiana in okay. middle school. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of started taking us through middle school and get us into high school because cause that's for a lot of people where faith really starts to get a little bit messy, um, where you really have to wrestle with those things. You know, we have high schoolers at Collective that they're early in high school, um, but in about a year or two, they're really going to start wrestling with what does faith look like for themselves, you know, whether that's the decision to get baptized, or if they've already made that decision, it's going to be, how do I follow Jesus when I go to college? You know, I think some of our kids will start wrestling the same way you and I did, which is like, do I go to a 
Christian college? Like, what do, what do I do with that? But high school is really when it's kind of like the rubber meets the road. Like you have to start making decisions about your own faith versus kind of the osmosis of family, um, even when it's good. You know, even when you have like a good experience with that, like it, it starts to pivot around middle school and high school. And so talk to us about middle school, high school, um, kind of leading into college, faith, family, more moves. More moves, yep. Yeah, more you moves, ended up yeah, in Illinois always. at some point. I, I did, yes. Okay, mm-hmm. all right, yep. take us through that. Yeah, sure. So July 10th, 1994, I was baptized when I was 10 years old. So that's like late elementary school. But that was after a week of church camp, which there there is this thing called church <laughs> yeah, camp. It exists. People too. go to it. Yeah. But like, I loved it. Yeah. I thought it was great. It was, it was fun. You got to meet all kinds of new people. You were learning about Jesus. And for me, this was like, this was awesome. I, I really enjoyed it. And so moving from that into middle school, you know, we still had the church camp experiences. I had a great group of friends. Some of them went to church, some of them didn't, but it was a, it was a really tight knit group of friends and we did everything together. And it was, it was like complete trust from each other's parents to, to like go spend hours together. And it was cool and it was great. So I feel like with the friend group that I had and, and the church life that I had, Faith was just natural. I don't Good. know. I don't necessarily want to say it was easy. Like life circumstances made it easier, but it was really natural and it felt good. And it was like, yeah, let's let's do this Jesus thing because it's really cool. And then, the first time I really faced like a hard time in life, right before high school, we moved from Indiana to Illinois, and. My dad just felt like God was calling him to this church in the middle of nowhere in Illinois. And so I remember the day we moved, my friends came over and we all just sat in a circle and we cried together at like five in the morning because we knew like, this is it. That was really hard leaving them. And then we moved to just a terrible cultural fit for me. It was in the middle of nowhere. It was a small town, farming and football. Is it like that's what everybody cared about, farming and football. And so a decision that I still regret, I tried football for one year. I caved to the peer pressure. I absolutely hated it. I'm not a football player. I'm like 135 pounds, right? Like I do not belong on a football field, but yeah. I was taken from this really great environment that I loved into just a completely foreign experience. I graduated with about 30 people, and graduation took like 45 minutes from a public high school. Yeah, it was a public Public school. That's the other thing, too. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it was a public school. Yep. And the entire town had like 1,200 people, no stoplights, one grocery store. No matter how long you live there, if you're not born there, you're always an outsider. Sure, sure. And so, like, we we definitely felt that as a family and absolutely felt that in high school. Um, And, you know, like kids, youth, young adults, they they can just be so nasty to each other. And I, as the outsider, was, like, the recipient of that. So I got made fun of, like— every day at school just like relentlessly made fun of at school to the point to where like I didn't have any friends 
I remember sitting there playing like FIFA 98 soccer at home and my parents came in and they kicked me out and they said, you have to go hang out with somebody. And it was just this really hard conversation of like, there's no way to hang out with yeah. like that. That person doesn't exist. I don't, I don't have a friend in this town. And I really hated going to school because I knew it was just like getting my butt kicked every day. Not like physically. I never got in any fights, sure. luckily, because I would not win that fight. <laughs> <laughs> but like just like got relentlessly beat down every single day. We got free lunch at school because we didn't make enough money to, to have to pay for lunch at school. But I still came home pretty much every day. I walked like the two or three minutes home. Of course, it was that long in, in that small town. But I just I wanted to be home for like 20 minutes so I didn't have to be at school for 20 minutes. And and that's kind of what like pushed me through the end of the day before I could go home again. So school life was really hard. My dad is at this church and he's the lead pastor of this church. And, and so we kind of jump right into church life and youth ministry in high school it was basically like pizza and basketball for four sure. years and, yeah. and there wasn't a lot of like development or or i feel like the people who really cared about us were the volunteers more so than the youth minister himself sure so it was it was like a, a fun environment with like lots of free food but there was no like connection to other kids really so those four years cumulatively were probably the worst time in my life one of the worst times in my life just because I didn't fit in I really didn't want to be there it was weighing on everybody my oldest brother was off to college at this point and he didn't want to come home just because it was like it was yeah. a place but he didn't know anybody yeah I knew that my oldest brother fell out of place and, and my younger sister, she, she connected the most, but it was still kind of like the outsider feeling. So yeah. I feel like it weighed on our family a lot more as well. And, and as you, you, know, you mature and you get older in high school, you kind of become a little bit more aware of what's happening. And so I feel like family dynamics weren't the same there because it went from like a, this feels great and I feel secure and I feel protected to more like we're functioning. Yeah. Yeah, and, and we're functioning. Well, and it's one of those tough things too when you're a kid, and you feel this as an adult as well, but when you make a decision for your family and you're like, oh my gosh, I led us into exile, right? I led us into this land that this is not milk and honey, you know, and... Um, even as a, as a high schooler and it's, it's interesting cause like you're, you, you know, you have these older siblings and like, you know, they're only there for a period of time, but they get to step out and like, look at it from a different perspective. And they're like, that's not home. Why did God call you here? Did God call you here? Like, how could God call you here? If this is the result that's on your family and whether you put all those things together or, you know, really understand that you're not going to have that conversation with your parents as a high schooler. Meanwhile, like it's possible that your father is going, why did you call me here? Did I misunderstand God's calling? I'm sure What's did, the fruit yeah. of this? Right. And so you just kind of sit in that place um, of maybe we're stuck in this land because we're going to get to the other side. That's a hard place to be, right? If you read the book of Exodus, right? If you read <laughs> the book of Jeremiah, really, when the Israelites are stuck in this place, they're like, God, what the heck are you doing with us? And he's like, you'll get there eventually. 
they at least knew they'd get there eventually. But for you guys, you didn't know how long this would be. You know, I, I'm assuming there's a point in your high school career where you move there and you hate this place. And then you're going to church there with the same kids that you see in school that you hate in school, but then show up and act like they're good people at church. And you're thinking it'd be really nice to move right now. You know, mm -hmm. as much as like moving again would be tough, you know, and in the heartbreak of the previous move, now you're longing for that. And that's a tough place to exist in. One thing that people bring up on this podcast all the time is as an adult, you look back on your childhood and you go, Oh, that was off. Right. That was a really bad time of our life. As a kid, you're like, I think this is a bad time in my life. Like, I don't, I don't know. And so that feeling that you had, that your family had now is really clear. But as kids, like you still feel it and you're like, this isn't it. And that's a really tough place to be as a high schooler specifically, because you're a little bit more aware of that. Um, how did that though? So small town, small church, I'm assuming the kids in the youth group are the same kids you go to school with. Did, did like it draw from other schools as well or? So I, I, I really do think what made high school tolerable in, in getting through it honestly was I had a friend from another school okay. to the west and a friend from another school to the east. Yeah. So the two friends that I had, one of them went to our church. That's how I got to know him, but we didn't go to school together. But there, there was, again, church camp. There was a strong church camp culture, and that's where I met this friend from the neighboring county. Yeah. And I tried, I tried so hard to date this girl in high school, and she friend-zoned me <laughs> infinitely. She friend-zoned me, which ended up being the best thing yeah, ever, yeah. right? Because yeah. once we established that we're friends, we built this really solid, great relationship. And so they, they may not realize it, but the, the Pettit family made high school tolerable and gave me something to look forward to yeah. because I would just get out of my town for a few hours and, and go hang out with her and her family. And it was, it was just this great escape. And yeah. it was like, this, this is my friend. Like, and I have one this way and I have one this way, but I have nobody right here with me. Yeah. So it was that, but you know, what you just talked about Exodus and kind of going through that period, I feel like looking back, something that set up kind of the rest of life that I didn't realize at the time is growing up with a younger sister. You have three boys and a younger sister. Yeah. She is definitely the tomboy. And as as a boy, I just wanted to hang out with my brothers. Like, we're, we're going to hang out. We're going to do all these things together. So, like, I had a relationship with my sister, but it, it, it really wasn't like a great connection. Yeah. But when my older brother went off to college and it just left her and I alone at home together with mom and dad, that's when we became best friends. Yeah. And for many, many years in my life, like she was my best friend. And we'll kind of get into the college years later, but that those years that I had at home with her really kind of set up this foundation for the next chapter that yeah. I didn't even realize at the time. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit as you kind of get to the end of high school, but what is faith like during this season? What is it like to go to church with the families of the kids that I'm not gonna say you hate, but like, you know, what is that like? Your dad is literally leading, trying his best to like lead them into a more Christ like life. But like you're on the outside going, 
this isn't working, sure. you know? So what mm-hmm. is that like? And did that have an impact on your faith and your trust in Jesus specifically? In general, in high school, I became a shell of myself. And if people now saw me back then, they wouldn't know who I was because I didn't talk to anybody. I was very shy, very reserved, almost just like walked through life really scared. So luckily, the kind of like the, the worst aggressors, they didn't want anything to do with church, so they weren't there. So that was a little bit of an escape there too. But I really feel like I knew in my heart that Jesus was good, but I just couldn't feel it. Yeah. Like there was no like in my day to day, I I really feel like Jesus is for me right now. So I don't I, I wouldn't say that I ever gave up on Jesus. I would say just kind of like life itself, it just became like how I viewed God just became a shell of what it used to sure, be. Sure, sure. Talk, take us through high school, so kind of through the end of that, because um, eventually you end up in Tennessee at Milligan, which if you've been to Collective for the last six, 12 months, you know, one of the things that we CT and I often talk about is we met in college. Um, but like kind of bring us to the end of that season and leaving, had you, well, answer this for me. Have you, had you lived in Tennessee at any point? No. Okay. So even moving to Tennessee was like, let's go to a new place. Um, but take us through kind of the end of your high school years and on to college. Sure. So uh, I mentioned that we got free lunch because of my dad's low salary and my mom wasn't working or she was working part time. And I had one of my teachers actually was a Milligan graduate all the way in the middle of nowhere, Illinois. And he came up to me one day and he put the application in my hands my junior year. And he said, I want you to go here. This is a really great school. Go check it out. Wow. And once I found out that it was in East Tennessee, all of the Southern <laughs> stereotypes came out. I yeah. was like, I ain't sitting on my front porch picking my whatever. Like, I was just like, I'm not going to school yeah. in the South. So literally the only reason I filled this out is because I had class with him and I knew that I would see him. So mm. if he asked me if I had done it, I didn't want to have to lie to him. Wow. So so I, got, I, I sent off my application to Milligan and got accepted. They sent me stuff in the mail. I just trashed it. Didn't even yeah. look at it. Yeah. I knew I wasn't going anywhere in Illinois, so I was looking at a place in California, in Missouri, but Tennessee was not on the radar at all. And then we got our financial aid packages back from all three schools, and even though Milligan was sticker price the most expensive, it became the cheapest out-of-pocket option for us. And so at that point in time, we started to think like maybe there was something happening there. And so... I started reading their materials. It looked like it was an interesting place. We decided that we needed to go visit this place. And so I skipped my senior prom, which wasn't a big deal to me because <laughs> I hated it anyways, <laughs> right? Not a big deal. Yeah. So I skipped senior prom, went to Milligan, and it was one of the two times in my life where I feel like I just so clearly and confidently telling God, God telling me, this is your place. Yeah. And, and I can't explain it anything other than that. I, with, with absolute certainty, I feel like God was saying, CT, you are going to Milligan College, and this is your home. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. That's crazy. 
that I mean, that's that is that's weird because I know for me, like my story is uh, kind of similar where I had no plans to go to Milligan. I didn't want to go to a Christian school, you know, looking at other places. And financially, it was like, all right, God, whoever gives me the most money, that's where I'm going. And Milligan's like, here's money. And I'm like, what? And one of them was like a leadership scholarship. I'm like, you don't know me. Like, this doesn't make any <laughs> sense. But then you, you, you know, we've talked about Milligan on this podcast. There's, there's multiple people that go to collective that went to Milligan, which is weird because the school is about a thousand people, um, which means it's bigger than your high school, which yes. is weird because it's not big at all. Um, but there's just something really special uh, about that place. And so, but you didn't go there. It is a Christian college, but you did not go there to do ministry. Correct. Right. Everyone assumes, I think specifically for you, that it was like, you're going to be a preacher, right? Um, that's why you went to Milligan. And, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that uh, as, as we keep going. So you moved to Milligan. How far away was that from your family? Well, 12 or 13 hours. Yeah. Your sister's behind, though. So like... How did that feel moving onto campus, being away from a place you didn't want to be, but being also away from your sister who you were super close to? Did you feel like this was kind of a fresh start for you? You know, coming out of the in, uh, the Seymour area and like that whole season of your life, like, did you immediately walk onto campus and feel free or did it like kind of take you a little while to, to find your place just out of like trust issues and, and trying to figure that stuff out? It was really interesting. I graduated high school, and then the very next day, I left Illinois. I went to go live with my brother for the summer. He got me a job packaging circuit breakers. But it was really just getting out, out, like getting out of Dodge. And so, again, same thing. Very early in the morning on the doorstep, me and my sister are sitting there, and we're we're both bawling because I'm leaving behind my best friend. Yeah. And I really did feel conflicted about that. Like I, I knew that I was on to something different and I wanted that for her. Mm-hmm. And I knew that she had another year in Illinois without me. And I felt conflicted about that. But as soon as I got on campus at Milligan, it was just like a switch yeah. flipped. I found my place. I found those same people from when I visited campus as a high school senior and they liked me. Yeah. They just like enjoyed my presence. It was insane. Like people wanted to be around me and they wanted to be my friend. And and that was that was so incredibly foreign, but it was it was almost like a drug high in a sense. Where sure. it's like, I love sure. this thing and I, I just want to like keep going after sure. this thing. Yeah. And so I I really found my place. Like I, I was an outgoing person again. I was fun natured again it kind of went a a little bit too far and and i'm sure we can talk about that too (laughs) um but i couldn't believe that as much as i had been made fun of and kind of trashed for the last four years that exact same person people were like we like this guy and we want to hang out with this guy and that felt really good yeah so so from like day one it was freedom it was invigorating it was i love this place and it introduced me to not just friendships but like real community and people who actually care about you yeah you know you immediately got super involved on campus activities and i know um, by the time i showed up a few years later uh, we joke but it was kind of this way like you were mr milligan 
you know, you were like an ambassador to help the freshmen find their own place, you know, and you were helping with campus ministry stuff. And, you know, in those two years, you went from receiving all of this goodness to then creating that space for other people. And that included me and Chris Wells, who shared um, on an earlier episode, included my wife, um, where we knew you because you were like the dude. But so much of that was you creating space for us to walk into the same type of environment, you know, to um, show up on this campus where most of us don't know a lot of people. You know, it's not a big campus. And for a lot of us, like, it is kind of a culture shock. Like Tennessee, Eastern Tennessee, people, you talk about Tennessee, people are like, oh, Nashville. And you're like, yeah, no, it's not <laughs> that. Uh, Northeastern Tennessee, I mean, it's Appalachia. Like it's, it's uh, Mountain Dew was created there. Absolutely. Right? So like, if you want to know the context of where we went to college, it's that. It's, you know, you drive, you know, people think you drive 20 minutes in Frederick and you're on a farm. And it's like, you drive 20 minutes outside of Tennessee and there's nothing, there's no power. Like there's mm-hmm. no toilets. Um, <laughs> But like you got super involved and that's how we met. And I think the first time we met, I, I think it was playing intramural softball. Correct. Yep. Um, you had a team that was full of ringers and I was like, you know what I want to do? Win championships. <laughs> so, um, you know, we started hanging out and I didn't want to have friends and I didn't go to Milligan like longing for that belonging place. Cause honestly I was like, screw everybody. I don't need to belong anywhere, but met all these people and kind of started to to chip away. And I think it was our freshman year or my freshman year. I think you were a junior at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not even sure how it started, but at some point we all, me, you, our friend Curtis, who preaches there every once in a while, a friend of ours named Jay, who came to Collector for a while too, which was super weird when he lived up in this area. Um, We started hanging out, talking about life. Real Uh, things. Yeah, like real crap. And... Um, but it was in that we started to talk about church planting and, uh, eventually Chris Wells ended up being one of the guys that we hung out with in that group. And I'm pretty sure it was like your senior year. I was like, I'm, I'm planning a church. Like, I know I'm doing this. Uh, God's called me to this Milligan felt the same way for me where I was like, I don't know why I'm here outside of this one, one path, which is you want me here so I can go into ministry so I can plant a church somewhere, you know, wherever. But we started talking about it um, at Applebee's, which I have no shame in, in saying that. <laughs> 10 o'clock, Applebee's, half price apps. We started saying, like, what would it be like if we all planted a church together one day? Like, what would that be like? Which eventually led to this place. But before we get to that, talk to us about college. Because I mentioned earlier, you did not go to Milligan for ministry. Correct. But you did go to be involved in ministry. And that's so important because there are so many people at Collective or just followers of Jesus in general who really wrestle with this, like, oh, my purpose, if I'm going to serve in a church, should be being on staff at a church. But even as a freshman, you were like, no, like, I am not here to get a Bible degree so that I can work at a church. I am here to get, you know, communications degree, and I hope one day to serve in a church. It's weird because you said it out loud, and I think a lot of people would kind of buck back and go, oh, man, what a, what a weird decision. But that's 99% of the church, you know? Like, that's what Collective needs more than anything else are people who love Jesus, who stand on Scripture, who say, oh, man, I want to lean in as much as possible in this place, versus I hope to work for Collective one day, right? That's not—that can't be the goal. So talk to us about college and what was that like for your faith 
why did you get so involved? Because, you know, one of the things that's true about you is by the time you were kind of like a sophomore or junior, you were leading um, on campus. You were leading at a church off campus. Like you were like high capacity volunteer as a 20 year old. Why? Like, why did you do that? Why that path? Why that passion? At Milligan, I really feel like I found myself in, in who I wanted to be. It, w- it was this complete re like a complete do over. Nobody knows who you are. You're not you're not the shy, awkward kid that everybody makes fun of. You get to be whoever you want to be. And so very quickly I said, that four years of misery, like that's gone. And I don't I don't want to do that anymore. And so I, I found some great relationships and I found people, you and a few other guys that really became awesome community and friends. And my freshman year, I remember there were two juniors and they kind of took me under their wing. And I felt like I was the coolest kid ever because I was hanging out with upperclassmen. And I kind of saw this modeled for me that it was kind of passed down over the time at Milligan of some of the older guys taking the younger guys under their wing and mentoring and and befriending them. It just kind of naturally developed with both of us because we both wanted to win at softball and then it turned into something more. But it, sound, it still sounds really, really weird to say that in, in a very small way on a very small campus, like I, I was the guy for a period of yep. time, I was. And that's completely foreign. But at the same time, why not do something with that? Yeah. And I knew that I wanted to do something with that and make an impact, but I knew that it wasn't going to, I, I'm not going to work in the church. That's not going to be my job. So I started out at Milligan as a nursing major, did business, took economics, quickly realized business was not for me, and found my way into the communication field. But I've been told my entire life that I need to be a youth pastor. Uh, We just went, Rachel and I just went this summer with our high school kids to, it's called Christ in Youth, week-long conference. And that conversation came up again of, why are you not doing this thing? Why are you not being a youth minister? And I've never felt called to it. I don't have any bad experiences. My dad had a lot of great experiences in the church. But people are like, you're young, you're energetic, you love hanging out with young people, you're great with relationships, this is what you were made to do. And I just, I feel very strongly and passionately that that's not it. And so I have always viewed what I want to do with my life as a Christian who places myself in an environment where I can be around people who aren't Christians and kind of have that influence. And so I did get involved in a church in Tennessee and I was a youth sponsor and a youth volunteer because I wanted to to give back to those kids and, and give them a better experience than I had. But at the same time, I knew, like, I'm not doing this. I I did an internship in high school. I did an internship in college. I did an internship right after college. And every time I walked away with, this is not it. And I'm not passionate about this thing. I would much rather be somebody who goes and supports and volunteers at my local church, but still have a job and have an impact outside of that somewhere else. And so I found the communication field and quickly fell in love with this and feel like it's very universal for no matter what you want to do in life. I'm a professor now of communication, so I could go off on that rant, but I won't. But I found this communication field. 
I fell in love with it and I said, I don't know what this is gonna look like. I have no clue, but this is what I'm gonna use in my vocation to make an impact not in the church. Yeah, I forget how intertwined our story is because um, one of the things that you did is you were you did speech lab, which was when students went in and like practiced their speeches, and so you like gave feedback to them. And then when you graduated, you gave me that job. CT was also the vice president of the student body uh, while he was at Milligan, and then when he graduated. I became the vice president of student body. Um, so the influence was was vast on that one. You know, one thing I love, CT, about your story, specifically at a young age in college, is, you know, the Indiana experience was, was awful. Um, it's something that, you know, you mentioned, like, it still impacts you. Like, you still, you still hate it. Like, it still kind of gnaws at you as you have kids, right? You start thinking through the experience of your children and how like you don't want to have them have the same experiences. And um, so you kind of relive those things. But even as an 18, 19, 20 year old, you went to Milligan, you went to a place like whether it's Milligan, it doesn't matter. This is true for anybody. And you're like, Hey, I'm going to create space for people to belong because I know what it's like to not belong. And that's, that was like really what you did at Milligan. And people joke, like CT was on the cover of the Milligan magazine. (laughs) He was like catching a football. I'm 99% sure like I threw it and CT like came back from landscaping that day because that was your your um, work study. study and you caught this ball. It's like on your hip and all of a sudden like six months later, it's on a magazine cover. It's on a banner. You know, one of the things that CT and I got to do together was we got to travel around and speak at conferences um, which was mostly him speaking at conferences and me not being allowed <laughs> to speak at conferences because, you know, I'm me. Um, but we literally had a pull-up banner that had CT on it. And we'd be like at these conferences with like 5,000 students. And people would be like talking about this banner and be like, oh my gosh, who's that guy catching a football? And it's like, you mean that that guy like right there? <laughs> you know, and we joke about it and, and we've teased you about it for years. And um, but, but the thing that we all know that that's true is that you put yourself in the, like you put yourself in those places not to be on a banner and on a magazine, but because like you were legitimately trying to create that community at Milligan for people that you didn't have when you were in high school. Um, and it was felt. And I know for me personally, like as jaded as I was when I walked in and as much as I didn't want to have friends, um, looking back, I'm, I'm not sure how I got worn down uh, the way that I did, but I was one of those guys as a freshman that you didn't force your way into my life. You didn't try to tell me to act differently. You just treated me well. Like that was foreign to me. Like I wasn't bullied in high school, but I didn't like have friends in high school because as an introvert, especially when you're a teenager, people don't get it. They just think you're unfriendly and all that stuff. Um, And so you just kind of lean in, Um, but that's kind of what you did. And, you know, our relationship grew a ton. Um, Even after you graduated, you went on to get your master's degree in Northeastern Tennessee at ETSU and our friendship continued like it was almost better toward the end um but you were in tennessee for a while so um and and our lives like intermingled a ton during that time because we were friends when i was graduating then ray and i moved away but we came back um i think that's when our friendship went from uh close to like all the time we spent all the time together um but kind of keep taking us through that because you know, you have this wonderful Milligan experience and so much good things came from it. Your sister eventually shows up there she did. too, which is a big part of this. Mm-hmm. And you guys are still super close while you're there. 
which was really cool for us to see. So we got close to your sister as well. But just because you had this like really great four years and God said very clearly, this is where you're supposed to be. It doesn't mean when you graduated, it was like, all right, smooth sailing. Um, In fact, I think you kind of went back through those hard seasons again. Um, And so talk to us about all of that and kind of get us to the point where, I guess to the point where you meet Rachel, because those next multiple years are kind of frustrating. I don't want to say messy, but you end up moving a lot. You kind of like kind of transfer back to like those beginning years of your life where you're like all over the place trying to figure some stuff out. So talk to us about that because, and, and specifically how'd that feel with your relationship with God? Like Mm -hmm. to go from, you got me out of this terrible thing. You brought me to this great thing. And then all of a sudden it's like, God, what the heck are you doing with me? Cause that's kind of the next five, six, seven years for you. Yep. So what's really interesting is if you look at the Bible, a lot of the characters in the Bible, they go through this period of wondering and questioning and waiting before they get to this place where they have this really great impact. And so I, I feel like after college, that's what this was. And, and so Mill- like Milligan changed my life and it changed my world. And one of the, the founder of Milligan, one of the things he always said was Christian education, the hope of the world. And so I was like, I'm, I'm going to go change the world. I'm, I'm literally going to go change the world, and I'm going to take this thing that I have. And so it had been a year-long process of going through the Peace Corps application process. And I had my assignment. I was going to go to Fiji of all places. Yeah, like, send me this. to Fiji. This is great. This. I was going to go to Fiji, hang out in villages near the beach, and have a positive impact on, on the youth. And I could have kind of created what that looked like. And I was like, this is it, I'm going and this is awesome. And I was so excited. And then like two weeks before I was supposed to leave, it all fell apart. And it was no longer on the table. Peace Corps wasn't an option anymore. And so I got a job at Milligan as an admissions counselor yeah. for a year, which was great, but honestly really hard because I wasn't a student anymore. Yeah. But I was still around, and I was supposed to be a 22-year-old professional while still having so many great friendships with people who were in college. So it was this really weird conundrum. The next few years in life, it was dipping my toes in the water to not enjoy this experience or, or not like this job at all. So I did a year at Milligan. I did another year-long church internship up here in Maryland. Uh, yeah, I at forgot about that. Mountain Christian Church, which is one of our supporting yeah. churches. Yeah. And it was a great experience, but it just further solidified the church is not my job. So I moved back down to Milligan, got a master's in storytelling, which, yes, if you're listening, (laughs) it is a real degree, I promise. I need to say this too, though. Part of your master's, you got to do something really fun that... I still can't find on the internet, but you did Civil War reenactment. It was Revolutionary Revolutionary War War. reenacting, yes. Yes, I did. So uh, side tangent, I was Sir Isaac Shelby with the Over Mountain Men, and that is actually what paid for my grad school was to be a Revolutionary War reenactor. Yep, yep. And you were on PBS. You were on television doing this reenactment. Yep. So everybody listening, I need you to pause this episode right now. I need you to Google uh, Over Mountain Men, PBS, it was at Sycamore Shoals. Sycamore Shoals. <laughs> I need you to find this for me because I've spent 10 years trying to find this on the internet and I can't get anywhere. Um, Specifically, he's talking about we did a feature reenacting a wedding. 
So I quote unquote got married yeah. in the 1780 time period to a complete stranger, and it was on PBS yeah. at some point. Yeah, yeah, and that was good. But that that you knew, like getting your master's in storytelling, was still kind of a stopgap. Yes. It was like I'm here. I want to further this communications thing. What a cool opportunity, ETSU. Um, it's like, I mean, Eastern Tennessee. I've shared this in a sermon once or twice. Like known, like all over the world as a storytelling capital. Um, Good experience, good time, but still it was kind of like you buying time. Sure. Right? And where did you live when you lived in, when you did the master's degree? I lived in Johnson City. Yeah, and who'd you live with? I lived by myself for a period of time. I lived with Aaron Wood for oh, yeah, a period yeah, of yeah, time yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, So our friends, so like our lives are, are mingling at this point because sure. Ray and I had moved back and we're kind of hanging out with some friends that we went to college with. There's good community. You're still involved very much in a church, but you knew it wasn't it. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. So you graduate and then... And then I have this really big decision in front of me because as a graduate student, I... At ETSU, I got involved in their campus ministry and the opportunity to go to Kenya, Eastern Africa for a month presented itself. And I fund my fundraised my way to go on that mission trip with a bunch of other college students. Completely loved that experience. It was one of the best experiences I'd had in that point in time in my life. And so I'm graduating with my master's degree. And the cool thing about a storytelling master's is it's like, hey, I have this storytelling master's. Wow, that's so cool. But it's not marketable. Yeah. Like nobody it sounds want- cool. Right, exactly, yeah, yeah. but it's not marketable. So very quickly, it came down to doing a year in Uganda with that same missionary organization or taking a job with Pepsi in Johnson City. Everybody except my sister, who still lived in Johnson City with me, still was my best friend at that time, everybody except her said, CT, it's time for the adventures and the nomad life to stop, and it's time for you to put on your big boy pants and go get a job. Yep. And so that's what I did. The crazy thing is it, it helped to pay off all of my debt because I was a young single person in East Tennessee making a very comfortable yep. living working at Pepsi, but I hated it. Yeah. I hated it. I don't drink pop myself. Yes, I still call it pop <laughs> from my Midwestern yeah. days. Yeah. But it's where Mountain Dew was created yeah. and is wildly popular. So I saw all of these people like drinking, 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 consuming this thing that I don't drink and that I'm not passionate about and that I don't care about. And my job was the exact same thing every single day. Even though I'd gotten what was called the golden ticket, in Pepsi, they take you straight out of college, and it's kind of like moving you up into the big leagues very, very yeah. quickly. So you you progress very fast. But I knew that it wasn't it, and so I contacted that same organization. Still had the opportunity to go to Uganda, and after a year at Pepsi, went and spent a year in Uganda as a missionary, which is kind of a professional Christian, just yep. kind of in a little bit of a different nature, and. Everybody in life was like, this is it. See you in four years when you come back. Have a great life. This is your life's calling. If you're not going to be a youth minister, you're going to be a missionary. And so I go, and within like a week, I'm like, this isn't it either. This is not it. And it was a great experience. It It was the best, worst, hardest, most awesome thing I've done in my life up to that point. Yeah. Halfway around the world... 
somebody's holding my name on a sign, and that's how I know where to go. Yeah. Don't have any personal connections with anybody. But I spent a year there, came back, realized that wasn't it, and kind of all throughout this, where am I supposed to be in life? I have communication degrees. What am I passionate about? I love young people. I get energy from young people. And I started to think more and more about what would it be like to be a professor yeah. and to teach this thing that I've been learning about. And so that kind of was always in the back of my mind. I tried to get accepted into a few different places for a doctoral degree. Nobody accepted me. So I took a job at, in Florida, with in Orlando, Florida, yeah. with a company called Booster. Loved it. Yeah. Absolutely loved it. Yeah. But at that point, I was 29, and my boss's boss was younger than me. Yeah. So I knew I'd already aged out of that company. And so I applied again to a whole bunch of places for a doctoral degree. Only one place accepted me. I've said for a very, very long time, academically, I have no reason to be a doctor. I'm not the smartest person in the room. I'm not the brightest person in the room. I know that about myself. But I just kept applying to places until somebody said, all right, we'll let this guy in. Yeah. And that's what happened. And it was the only place that accepted me. So I was like, well, I guess I'm moving to Bowling Green, Ohio, because this is my one option. Yeah. And so I jumped into a doctoral degree in communication at Bowling Green State University. And right before I moved there for my first year, the summer before, I reconnected with this girl named Rachel yep. that I had met five years earlier, and nothing clicked at that first time that we met. Life took us our different directions, but I reconnected with her, and the summer before I started my doctoral degree, we were in Washington, D.C. being tourists, and it was our first date. And again, this, this is one of the times in my life where I feel like God very clearly spoke to me. We were sitting on the steps of Abraham Lincoln, which I know the people who are listening to this, most of them are from the DMV yeah. area. And call it the Lincoln Memorial. The Lincoln Memorial. Sorry. Lincoln Memorial. Yeah. Sitting on the steps <laughs> of Abraham the Lincoln. The time, yeah. so. <laughs> but like for me, going to Washington, D.C. was a really big deal. So yeah. I was like, this is awesome. I'm in this national capital of ours. And I'm with this person that I'm really enjoying our first date with. And I was sitting on the steps of Abraham Lincoln. And I just very clearly felt like God was saying, this is your wife. And I was like, this is weird. It's our first date. Yeah. But like, without a doubt, just knew on our first date, this is the person that I was going to marry. And that kind of led into what became the start of our life together. Yeah. So here's what we're going to do um, before we get to Rachel's story. We're going to stop episode one right here. Um, we're going to pick back up episode two. Rachel's going to share her story, how she got to the point of sitting on the steps in front of Abraham Lincoln, if she felt the same way in that moment. And then we'll kind of push a little bit further and talk about, okay, so how does it get from that to sitting at this table right now? Because there's still a lot and a lot of wrestling and a lot of things that had to happen. And so thank you for listening to this episode. Come back next week for part two as CT and Rachel share the rest of their story. 